Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning. Welcome in. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Nick Price on the other side of the glass. What's up, BK? Not our normal Ben Alpert, but we'll, I guess I guess we can settle for Nick Price being on the other side of the glass this morning. Yeah, I thought I was going to get the day off because the Royals play during our show from 12 to 3, but not uh, so lucky. No dice. I'm going to be here all day. They forced you in here with me early. So not only did you not get the day off, you also had to come in early. Yeah. So Could he's Nick Price. I'm Brandon Kylie. You got the lead off on 610 Sports Radio. You can get involved in the show. The Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69306. Hit me up on Twitter. I am at BK Sports Talk. All right, so we've got a lot to get into later today. We are going to hear the best of my conversation. I spoke with Mizzou AD Jim Sterk yesterday. He was fantastic. You'll want to hear what he has to say about the fact that you as a Mizzou fan very well may be able to go to Columbia next year and drink while you're at the games. So we'll get into that coming up at 1030 at 11 o'clock. The Royals trade talk starting to heat up. So we'll get into all of that coming up later on this morning. And I want to begin with the Tyreek Hill situation and an update on that. But last night, Nick Price, you were at First Fridays. I went to First Fridays for the first time in my life. I have lived in Kansas City since I was born. I was born here, raised here, went off to college at Mizzou, so I was an hour and a half away. Did a little detour. Don't hold it against me, people. I did a little detour three hours away on the east side of the state. Don't go worry blues. about it. I'm still back here. Absolutely. Go Blues. I'm hoping that they are able to take this thing down on Sunday. I actually have a take on this. The Raptors and the Blues, if they can win a title in 2019, you got to feel real good about the Chiefs in 2020. Oh, yeah. So, I go to first Fridays for the first time last night. I got to be honest with you. I've never in my life seen that many people downtown. It's insane. Never. It's absolute madness. It's an art festival, yeah. and all of Kansas City is like, you know what? It's 85 degrees outside. It is the first Friday in June. I know where I need to be. I need to be where they've got all of the art festivals. So I have one question for you, though, Nick Price, because I was a little bit surprised. Yeah. Um, Like I said, my first time at First Fridays, and I was out there. I was like, okay, I'm expecting, based on what I've heard, you can walk around with a beer. You can kind of like chill out and just go to all the different art galleries. And you're, you, you've got your drink along with you while you're walking around, right? Did something change this year? Because they now corral you in these areas. There's like three specific areas within First Fridays where like there's one street where they've got like a, a 12 by 12 closed off pin for you. And that's the beer garden, quote unquote. You nice. can play. They've got like one thing of Jenga. And 700 people are around this area because they're like, yeah, we're going to drink, but this is the only area where we can do it. There's another little, like, alleyway where you're able to get, like, mixed drinks and two beers. <laughs> and those are, like, the only two areas that I saw where you're actually allowed to drink. And then if you try to drink outside of those premises, they decide, no, 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 no. We got we to gotta make sure you get back in here. Yeah. I get what they're trying to do. I was just not prepared for that. That was not my impression of what First Fridays was all about. I haven't been to First Fridays enough to know exactly why they do that, but when you get that many people out there just wasted on a Fair. Friday afternoon <laughs> trying to look at art, I, I get the whole penning them into a, like a confined safe space, you know, instead of them just wandering the city <laughs> with their drinks and everything like that. You know what? That you, could be problematic. You've converted me. Yeah. I actually understand now. Yeah. It actually makes a lot of sense. And all of a sudden, thinking about it through the perspective of, yeah, other people out here, just criminals. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. All right. This is a terrible transition, but I'm not sure how else to do it. Speaking of former criminals, um, Tyreek Hill. I, I'm just going to power right through this one. We got our first update on Tyreek Hill yesterday in a while. It had been a while since we had heard anything new, any new meaningful information about Tyreek Hill, where he's at right now, what's going on, what the update is on his status. 
Here is the latest from Tom Pelissero of NFL Network. My understanding is there are no signs as of now that Tyreek Hill will rejoin the team or that his status will change prior to next week's minicamp. However, barring any further developments, there is every reason to believe that Tyreek Hill will be back with the Chiefs before training camp begins late next month. Now, of course, the NFL could intervene here. They could apply the commissioner's exemplus to Hill while their investigation continues. That's something they have rarely done in cases without charges. All right. So, objectively, this was a good update if you're a Chiefs fan. Yesterday, what you heard, there is no more active investigation criminally against Tyreek Hill. So if you are a Chiefs fan, and all we're talking about here is the football ramifications because that's my job right here on this very show. So let's talk about the football side of things. If you are a Chiefs fan, yesterday was objectively a good day. That being said, I do want to throw some cold water on everybody's prey because as much as yesterday was a good day, and there's no question that it was, Because if you hear that, you now know the criminal investigation is not, as of today, something you have to have in the back of your mind. There is still another investigation. And this is something that Roger Goodell mentioned at owners' meetings. This is from May 22nd. This is six weeks ago when Roger Goodell mentioned this. Listen to what he had to say on when the NFL is going to make a decision on Tyreek Hill. There's a court proceeding still going on involving CPS Child Protection Service, and we will not interfere with that. The priority is this young child. We are prepared to go ahead and have an interview whenever we have the permission to do so. And then we'll make a determination uh, based on what information we have at that point in time. So six weeks ago, Roger Goodell comes out at the owners' meetings and says, we will not make our ruling until the Child Protective Services investigation is complete. That is not complete. Now, maybe it will be in a month. Maybe it will be in a week. We have no idea. They don't update anybody on the way that their process is going, and there's very little public information on these types of cases. So we have no idea where that case is. There are some people, we had a lawyer in on the drive yesterday. She said some of these cases can take years to get truly resolved. I don't know if that's going to be the case for Tyreek Hill. I don't know how the NFL would handle it if that is going to be the case for Tyreek Hill. I just want to say, if the NFL was being honest, if Roger Goodell was being honest and truthful about how they're not going to act on this until they have a resolution in that case, well, then yesterday, as good as it was, and it was objectively a good day if you're a Chiefs fan, there's still more to the story here. There's still another investigation that needs to be played out. Now, the question, and this is the one question that I have remaining in the Tyree Kill case. I think we now know he's going to play for the Chiefs this year. Like, if he's going to play for a team, it will be here in Kansas City. He's not getting cut at this point. I think we now know there's likely to be a suspension of some kind. I don't know if it's going to be as long as we had anticipated previously, but I would expect, based on the fact that Jimmy Smith, a cornerback for the Baltimore Ravens, Last year, got four games for basically being mean to a woman, like saying saying terrorizing things to a woman. If he can get four games for that, Tyreek Hill can get four games for this. So I'm still expecting a suspension of some kind for Tyreek Hill. The one question that I have remaining in this case is whether or not the NFL is going to use the commissioner's exempt list because they don't use that in the offseason. That is not something that they typically utilize this time of year because there's no reason to. They're not getting paid. These things, mandatory mini camp that's coming up next week, that's not something that anybody's worried about. The one thing that they could do is Roger Goodell could say, we said since day one, we are not going to make a firm decision on anything until this case is over. And this would be where the similarity comes up with the Adrian Peterson case. Adrian Peterson in week one, of the NFL season played. Then everything came out. He was on the commissioner's exempt list from week two through week 17. The rest of the year, he was on the commissioner's exempt list, and then he was suspended the following season at the beginning of the year. It's possible, not saying likely, but possible that the NFL would do the same thing with Tyreek Hill where they say, listen, we don't want you playing right now because we don't know where this is going. We don't know what the Child Protective Services investigation is where where it's going to go. And so if that is the case, 
They could say, we're going to use the commissioner's exemplus to make sure that you're not on the field while this is still taking place. Protein LC with a purpose text line is 69306. This one comes from 816. CPS is providing services to the family, not actively investigating. Huge difference. We could see a four-game suspension here. I don't know how anybody can say that confidently. Nick, I, I like I'm, I'm sitting here. There is no information available. KCTV5 hasn't reported anything. The Kansas City Star hasn't reported anything. There is nowhere where you can find this stuff online. The Child Protective Services, like there's CaseNet, there's different places where if something's happening criminally, you can see Tyreek Hill's case on the internet. You can right. find everything you want to know about it on the internet. There is nothing publicly available for this with Child Protective Services. So I saw somebody on Twitter the other day said the same thing. Like, hey, I've Googled this for 20 minutes. Here's what's going on with Tyreek Hill. There is no way that you can know that. No, they're not legally allowed to release any kind of information about the investigation or what's going on because there's a child involved. Sure. So, like, the nature of the beast right there. As much as we would all love to believe that that's the case, like, that is my hope. And the video that surfaced earlier this week with Tyreek Hill and his son at the park that went on social media, that is another objectively good sign. Yeah. Like, we don't, I'm, I'm assuming that was supervised. I, I could be wrong here, but I'm just, I'm under the assumption, I would guess, this is my opinion, would be that that was probably supervised, but it is a good thing that Tyreek Hill can be near his child again. That is good. The other thing that is good is when I hear this from Lewis Riddick earlier this week on NFL Live. This team is loaded for bear, okay? You know how I like to make predictions, right? I like to say things before, you know, people go, wait, you can't do that. <laughs> Tyreek Hill will be there. He's going to play for the Chiefs this year, all right? This team is loaded on the offensive side of the ball. Question is, how many games will he miss? Will he be he suspended? I'm going like to I'm gonna make a guess. He's okay. not going to be suspended for very many. Let's put it this way. I think this team is loaded. That's Lewis Riddick, who, if you remember, was the first one that told all of us about Patrick Mahomes. He was the one who interviewed for the Chiefs general manager job after John Dorsey was fired. He's the one who was very close with Andy Reid and worked with Andy Reid previously. He is very informed when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. He said this on Thursday, not yesterday, after the news had come out about how the criminal investigation was no longer active. No, he said this on Thursday when there had been no new information on Tyreek Hill for like six weeks. So if Lewis Riddick is coming out saying that, I would believe I would be of the opinion that the Kansas City Chiefs have the same opinion on the matter right now. He's Nick Price. I'm Brandon Kylie. The show is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. If you guys would like to get involved, the Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is 69306. I'm also on Twitter at BKSports.com. Coming up next, there was a huge contract given out earlier this week. It went to Carson Wentz, and it means absolutely nothing for Patrick Mahomes. I'll explain next. Coming up, it is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Nick Price helping out on the other side of the glass. If you would like to get involved in the show, the Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69306. Coming up in just about 10 minutes, the best of my conversation with Mizzou AD Jim Sterk. We'll have that for you coming up here in just about 10 minutes. First, I want to get into the Royals lineup for today. The Royals are taking on Lucas Giolito and the White Sox coming up later on this afternoon. We will have pregame coverage with Cody Tapp coming up at 1130. Whip Merrifield leading off. He's going to be playing in right field. Gordon batting second in left. Mondesi at third at short. Jorge Soler is DHing today. He will be batting on the cleanup spot. Cuthbert is at third base once again. He's batting fifth. Nicky Lopez batting sixth and taking second base. O'Hearn is seventh at first. Gallagher is behind the plate, batting eighth. And Terrence Gore getting the start in center field today. He is batting ninth. Brad Keller is your starter on the mound for today's contest against the White Sox. Again, pregame coverage with Cody Tapp coming up at 1130. Right now, I wanted to get into what I think was a, what I thought actually was going to be a really important moment for Patrick Mahomes, but ended up actually really not mattering at all here in Kansas City. Here's Mike Garofolo of NFL Network announcing the Carson Wentz deal. I'll explain why it's not as big of a deal here in Kansas City as I thought it would be 
on the other side. In Carson Wentz's case, he was eligible for a contract extension. He got to the point now where Nick Foles is no longer in the building. He's clearly the unquestioned franchise quarterback. I don't know if there was ever a question in the team's mind, by the way. Don't take that the wrong way. Uh, but now he's looking toward the future and saying, okay, I can do a contract extension now. Or I can wait another year, another two years. But you know what? Let me do it now because I'm going to get over $100 million in injury guaranteed money with $66 million fully guaranteed at signing a $32 million average on what we call new money. So that's money added on to the contract he already had. So that's Mike Garofolo on NFL Network announcing the deal. So here's the deal. Here's the parameter. Here's everything that you need to know as a Chiefs fan. Carson Wentz just got a four-year deal. It's worth $32 million per year. It has $66 million in fully guaranteed. So all you need to worry about whenever you see these numbers, you're going to see like $120 million, all these different things. Worry about the stuff that's actually guaranteed. That's what's guaranteed at signing. So $66 million is guaranteed out of Carson Wentz's deal and $107 million guaranteed if he gets hurt. So that means that the Eagles can cut him. Unless he has like a torn ACL in the offseason, in which case he can't pass the physical. That was the worry this year with Eric Berry. Here's why it doesn't matter if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Because we just saw Russell Wilson get a four-year deal worth $35 million per year with $70 million guaranteed and $107 million in injury guarantees. So he got the same amount of injury guarantees, more guaranteed at signing, more per year and the same number of years. The benchmark for Patrick Mahomes is not going to be Carson Wentz. I thought it was going to be. Carson Wentz is young. He's gone, his team has gone to a Super Bowl. He's had an MVP caliber season, although it did end with an injury. Carson Wentz's deal, for as important as it is around the league, for as much of a benchmark as it can be for other young quarterbacks around the league, and I'm sure Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson, they're certainly looking at that deal saying that's good news for us. Patrick Mahomes is in a different class. Patrick Mahomes is in the class now of Russell Wilson. Patrick Mahomes is in the class with guys like, Desha uh, not Deshaun Watson, with Aaron Rodgers. Like the best quarterbacks in the league, that is who Patrick Mahomes is comparing himself to. So as much as I thought Carson Wentz's deal was going to be a huge, huge thing here in Kansas City, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because it came in short of what the previous benchmark was set. Here's where it does matter. Here's where I do think it matters in a big way. The numbers of what you heard earlier this week from Carson Wentz do not matter at all. It has zero effect on what uh, Patrick Mahomes is ultimately going to get. What does matter is that Carson Wentz did it now. What does matter is that Carson Wentz did not wait until next offseason when he potentially could have been coming off of a career year when he was healthy all season long, when he had weapons all over the place. The Eagles should be really good this year. It's entirely possible, possible, Lewis Riddick said as much actually, that Carson Wentz has a career year, he wins the MVP, and his team wins the Super Bowl. Imagine what Carson Wentz would have got next offseason if that were the case for him this year. Imagine the number that he would have come in with. It would have been record-breaking in every possible way. Now that honor is going to go to Patrick Mahomes. So Mahomes is still going to get paid. Mahomes is still going to get a ton of money. It could have been more if the Eagles went first, the Chiefs waited until after the Eagles, and then the Chiefs had to beat whatever uh, Carson Wentz ultimately got. But because Carson Wentz signed now... The number comes in lower. Russell Wilson's deal continues to be the bar for Patrick Mahomes. It's $35 million per year with $70 million fully guaranteed. Mahomes is going to get more than that. He's going to get closer to 40. He's going to get closer to 100 in the fully guaranteed. I don't think any Chiefs fan should be worried about that. That's a good thing if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. But the fact that Carson Wentz signed now as opposed to later, I think is a really big deal for Kansas City. I will say one other thing on this subject because I find it really interesting. We were talking about this the other day. I was talking with Carrington Harrison. And Nick, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Mahomes might be the only young quarterback right now that I go into these negotiations if I'm a team, and I have no concerns. Like Carson Wentz, there's very clear injury concerns. Dak Prescott, I still question if he's great. I think he's pretty good. But when Dak Prescott's making $30 million per year, I'm not sure I love what my team looks like. I don't think he's great. For there the you record. Go. Like, just straight up. 
I, I think he's good. I think he's, I, I think I think he's, he's pretty solid. Good. I think that he can go out there and win some football games for you, but I also don't think that he's going to go out there and, you know, put up the kind of numbers of these other quarterbacks that you're talking about, Carson Wentz, Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to go out there and, like, throw for three, 400 yards. It feels like his, his upside is not the same as those guys. I feel like we've seen his ceiling already. I think he's a better version of Alex Smith. Yeah. Which is fine. You can yeah. win with that. You can do pretty well. You can go to the playoffs consistently. You're not going to lose a bunch of games in any given year, but there's clearly, as we know here in Kansas City, a little bit of a ceiling to what you get from Alex Smith. Jared Goff. I think there are legitimate questions as to whether or not it's him or the system that makes what he's been doing possible. I think that's a legitimate question in L.A. right now. Yeah, maybe a little bit of both with that one. Sure. But yeah. Um, I think if you're Chicago... You have serious questions like the Dak Prescott question is, is he great? If you're in Chicago, the serious question is, is Mitch, Mitch Trubisky okay? Like, yeah. are, is he are serviceable? We, yeah. Is this a guy that we want to be here beyond his yeah. rookie deal? And then in Houston, it's a simple question. The same thing that it is right now with Carson Wentz. Do we want to pay this guy because we're really concerned about the injuries? Like, there are legitimate questions as to whether or not, especially behind the offensive line they have intact right now down in Houston whether or not Deshaun Watson can continue taking this kind of a blow in the NFL. They're going to pay him. All these guys are going to get paid eventually. I, Mitch Trubisky is the only one I'm not positive on because I, I legitimately am not positive that he's even okay. Yeah, the only thing with that <laughs> one is that the Bears have been struggling to find a quarterback, much like the Chiefs for a long sure. time. So maybe Trubisky's the best thing they got. And maybe, and maybe they, lock they him sign up, him to a know? Blake Bortles type of a deal where it's yeah. like, we can get in this for like two years and then we're out. Yeah. And if, if it goes south, we get out of there quickly. Yeah. That's entirely possible. But I look around the NFL right now, as much as I like a lot of these guys, I like Dak. I like Deshaun Watson. I really like Carson Wentz. There are questions. There are questions that you have to be like, are we good with this? Are we, are we sure we're hundred percent ready to sign up for this right now? With Patrick Mahomes, there is none of that. You don't worry about the off field. You don't worry about the on-field. There's no injury questions. Knock on wood. But right now, there's no injury questions for Patrick Mahomes. And the on-field product is as good as any quarterback in the NFL, not just the young guys. He's, he's as good as you could possibly be at his age. He's as marketable as you could possibly have off the field at his age. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I don't have to tell the Chiefs fans, he's the full package. He's the complete package. And when you're looking around the league, there's really no other young quarterback that has that. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Nick Price helping us out on the other side of the glass. The Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69306. Coming up in about 15 minutes, the most pivotal player for the Chiefs in 2019. Some audio also that you don't want to miss. But coming up next, it is the best of my conversation with Mizzou AD Jim Sterk, including why Mizzou fans might be able to buy alcohol at the stadium next year. We'll get into it next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Nick Price on the other side of the glass. Coming up in 10 minutes, the most pivotal player for the Chiefs in 2019 and some audio from Charlie Casterly that you're not going to want to miss. We'll discuss that coming up in 10 minutes or so. But right now... I want to get into my conversation. I was I had the opportunity yesterday to talk with Mizzou AD Jim Sterk. It was for my full podcast. It's called the True Sun Podcast. It's on the 435 Podcast Network. You can get it on the radio.com app. You can get it on iTunes. Please subscribe, download, and rate and review the podcast. That helps us out a ton. But, five stars. Yeah, five stars would be great. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll accept four. We really we'll prefer read five. all of the five stars, though. So like, <laughs> if you, you want to get your review read by us and give us your feedback, then give us five stars. That's right. Five stars is fantastic. And if you can if you can subscribe, hit that subscribe button. Or if you're on the radio.com app, do the downloads. Yeah. The download, like download it, undownload it, and then download it more times. Yeah. And then send it to everyone that you know and have them do the same. Thing. <laughs> yeah. That, that part really helps us out a lot. Yeah. So it's called the True Sun Podcast. We talked with Jim Sterk yesterday. He gave us. 30 minutes of his time. And if you know anything about, not Mizzou athletic directors, but athletic directors in general, they're relatively busy people. They've got other things to do other than talk to some schlum like myself for 30 minutes over the course of the middle of their day. So I was very thankful to Jim Sterk for being able to give us some of his time. I thought it was a great conversation. He talked to us about the NCAA appeal and why he thinks it needs to be overturned. He talked to us about selling alcohol at the stadium. I asked him what a day in the life of a Mizzou athletic director is like. So I, I think it's well worth your time, but we'll play a couple of the best clips for you here. 
I want to start with this, and I want to get into this with Nick Price on the other side, because I asked Jim Sterk about whether or not Mizzou is going to sell alcohol at the stadium next year. Because earlier in the month, I think it was about a week ago now, the SEC decided that they will repeal their ban on alcohol at stadiums. So each individual team can decide whether or not they want to sell alcohol at the stadium. A couple have already said no. They've decided we're not doing that. That sounds like an awful idea to us. Others are very interested in it. So I was curious because we hadn't seen any stance yet from Mizzou on what they're going to do, what Jim Sterk's stance is, because he's going to ultimately have a pretty big say into what Mizzou does here. Here's Jim Sterk on selling alcohol at the stadium next year. Yeah, I want people to know if we go forward with this, you know, we're, we're going to do the same thing and we're going to remove people and we want to protect the atmosphere at the game, um, make it enjoyable, but, but protect a, a great atmosphere at, at our games. And so um, we're adamant about that and, and the police are all behind it. They are, they are supporting it 100%. So correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but it, it sounds like you guys are leaning towards allowing this to happen next year. Is, is that where you're at right now? We've got a process to go to, but yeah, I could see it going. I could see it not. But I, um, uh, the way, uh, the way I think, um, hearing from the police that they would rather have it. So that's you know may win the day at you know at the end of this process. The one thing that I would say to you, Jim, is I have heard this from a number of Mizzou fans that are cer- certainly in Columbia. Um, if Logboat is available, I know they would certainly appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know if that's your call or if that's that a vendor's that, that call. A, but... that, that was a significant plug there that you did there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you guys are going to have plenty of people bidding on the idea of being like the exclusive provider of the alcohol within the stadium. So I'm not sure if that's your call or not. But if possible, yeah, I, I know I don't we've got know some good ones. I know there are some good ones, and and uh, yeah, and. Actually, we've had you know Anheuser Busch and and Boulevard and all that. You know, we're I, I don't know if you can have exclusivity. Okay. I, I'm not sure about that. So um, I, I, we haven't fans. got we haven't got that far down the road as far as what you know what we would have there. But um, we do have some great uh, great folks that are crafting great beer across the state. All right, listen, maybe Mizzou's not going to sell alcohol at the stadium next year. Maybe. It sure sounds to me like Mizzou is leaning towards selling alcohol at the stadium next year. Are you in the same impression on, after hearing that Nick Price? Are you under the same impression? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, like, it just makes too much sense. Like, why are we not selling alcohol at stadiums? So, the argument against it that some people would have is you don't want people getting hammered at the games. Right. Here's how you prevent that, at least to an extent. Because, first of all, newsflash for anybody that has that opinion. People are already getting hammered at these games. Yeah, they're bringing in their own alcohol. It's happening before the games. Like, people are going out, they're tailgating before the games. Mm-hmm. You see this at the Chiefs games. There's alcohol that is sold there as well, but people are getting sloshed before the game because it's cheaper to do so. And then they go in and they have a few beers over the course of the game as well that are $27, $27 a piece. Neither here nor there. At Mizzou games, at KU games, at K-State games, you're going to the games after you've been drinking all morning. This is the way that it works. And so by not selling alcohol at the games, you're actually incentivizing people to get as plastered as they can beforehand because a lot of them, especially students, want to get drunk before the games. They want to get drunk during the games. They want to get drunk after the games. And so by having a four-hour period, because college games are too long at this point, you are just you have a four-hour period where they can't drink. And so they know, I'm going to get as drunk as I can beforehand, and then I'm going to go to the game, and then I'm going to go to the bars afterwards. That's how it's working right now. And so if you want to continue doing that, go for it by all means. But that's the current situation by at least by selling the alcohol, at least the teams are benefiting from it. They are profiting from this. And maybe that sounds a little callous, but this is where we are in collegiate athletics right now. They want to make as much money as they can. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we were talking about in the break is I kind of feel like KU football because I'm a KU guy, went to KU. I feel like they would get more people at their games if they were selling alcohol. And it sounds crazy, but game day out there is kind of like an event where sure. that's like the goal is just to go out and drink all day. And people don't want to take a four-hour break from their drinking once they've been hitting it hard all morning 
to go watch a losing football team. Listen, man, us Midwesterners take our drinking very seriously. Yes, we do. We take our drinking this is, very seriously. Yeah, like, it I'm is locked into this conversation. Right as, now. as much as the teams are playing a sport on the field, we are also participating in a sport off of it. Yeah. By drinking all day. We've got beer pong. We got flip cup. We got beer bongs going on out in the in the parking lots. Like there's a lot of drinking games going on before these games. And then during the games, people very much like to drink as well. Listen, there's other things that need to be taken into consideration. I don't want to obviously sound like I'm just like making light of this entire situation. Of course, driving while drunk after games is a serious problem. Yeah, don't do that. And especially at a sporting event like a Mizzou game or a KU game where you're getting a lot of people that are coming in from out of town. Like mm-hmm. KU games, a lot of those people are coming from Kansas City. Yeah. Or they're coming from Topeka. They're coming from Wichita. They're coming from out of town somewhere. Mizzou games, most of the people that are going to those games are from either Kansas City or St. Louis. And so you got an hour and a half drive. That is not something to be taken lightly. But most of all of those people are already drinking at, before the game and after the game in some respects. Hopefully they're doing so responsibly. Hopefully they've got somebody with them that's going to be driving that is sober over the course of the day. But it does sound to me the biggest takeaway that I had from that clip from Jim Sterk is it sure sounds like if you're a Mizzou fan, you're going to be able to drink at the games next year. Yeah, I mean, it just makes sense business-wise, too. Like you said, if people are going to be drinking anyway, well, might as well make money on it. Sure. Might as well buy the booze from you. The other thing that I asked Jim Sterk about that I know Mizzou fans are going to be interested in, and I think at this point KU fans are probably going to be interested in it as well because of what just happened with Silvio DeSosa, Mizzou's in a tough spot right now where the football team's supposed to be really good next year. And they have a postseason ban because of the NCAA and because of the decision that they came to to in the tutoring investigation. I asked Jim Sterk what he expects from this uh, appeal from the NCAA and why he thinks it's so important that the NCAA get this correct. He was very adamant that the NCAA needs to get this right. The membership and the NCAA, the enforcement staff, needs this decision to be mostly overturned um, because... They can't operate, and with with a a system that makes a decision like ours. Ours was so egregious after the cooperation, after the exemplary cooperation, after having a part-time person that wasn't it wasn't motivated by getting a kid eligible. The twelve kids that ended up, they didn't even need the class to be eligible, and so that's how uh, outside the precedent that it is. And so I think the, the NCA for the betterment, I, I'm not sure enforcement can, can actually function in the future unless they overturn this. Man, those are some damning words from Jim Sterk. Jim Sterk is flat out calling out the NCAA saying, I'm not sure that that can continue to exist if they don't get this right in our case. Now, some of that is just because he's the athletic director at Mizzou, but Jim Stark is a well-respected man around the country who previously had stints at Washington State, previously had stints at San Diego State. Jim Stark is well-respected. And if that man is saying that the NCAA, as it is currently constructed, if they get this wrong, he thinks that the member institutions are going to turn on them, that is, that, is a, that is a large, large, large statement there by Mizzou AD Jim Stark. I would highly recommend the entire conversation. It's up right now, 610sports.com, the radio.com app, iTunes, wherever you want to find it. It is the True Sun podcast. It was a 30-minute conversation with Jim Sterk. I thought it was well worth your time, and I'm hugely appreciative to Jim for uh, giving me as much time as he did. The True Sun podcast is where you find the full conversation. Coming up next, the most pivotal player for 2019 and why this particular Chief squad has more players eligible for that than I think previous years. We'll get into that coming up. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. He's Nick Price. We'll be right back. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Nick Price on the other side of the glass. You can get involved in the show. The Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69306. Nick, I just saw this on Twitter. Do you know Frank Gore as a kid? No. Frank Gore, the running back that's been in the NFL for 100 years. He's I thought he might have had, like, grandkids or great-grandkids at this point. His kid just committed to play football at FAU. Really? His kid's a high school senior. This man's a running back in the NFL who has a child who is a high school senior. He's going to be playing at FAU, not this coming year, but the year, year after, 
four years from now, Frank Gore could be playing with this kid. As a running back, can you imagine if Tom Brady right now had a kid who, like, he had whenever he was young? Because a lot of... A lot of people in general, but NFL players as well, a lot of them have kids young, right. 21, 22, whatever, right? Yeah, because Frank Gore right now is 36 years old. Right. So, so you can he, do the math. He had a kid when he was 19 or he had a kid while he was at Miami, I guess. Right. Um, so you imagine if Tom Brady, who was, I believe is going to be 42 this year, yeah. had a kid whenever he was, let's say, his senior year at Michigan. He was 22 years old. That was 20 years ago. He could feasibly play in the NFL against his kid. Like, Tom Brady could have, had he had a child at that time, feasibly played against his kid while he's in the NFL. Have we ever had an NFL player play against his child? I got this from the text line from the 816, the protein I'll see with the purpose text line is 69306. Frank Gore's kid just signed with FAU. Has an NFL player ever played pro ball with his son or while his son played college ball? I don't know the answer to that question. I'd be more interested in, has a pro player ever played ball while his son also was in the NFL? I don't think it's happened. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say I don't think any players ever played until they were in their 40s because that's basically what it would take. Right. That is crazy. Frank Gore's kid is signing with FAU, man. I saw Patrick Sertan's uh, son. It was like one of the top recruits last year. That made me feel old as yeah. a Chiefs fan who remembers watching Pat, uh, Pat Sertan here in Kansas City. I got a Pat Sertan jersey at home. Now Frank Gore kid? Man, this is crazy. This is this is getting ridiculous at this point. Well, especially with football, like the longevity of careers is so short. Right. It's not like I and mean, we see on the from the eight one six on the protein house with the purpose sex line here, LeBron playing with his kid or against his kid. It's sure. not like basketball where you can play until you're like forty or years old. Or baseball. Like we, or we've baseball, seen yeah. this in baseball where right. a dad plays against his son because you can play baseball until you're like seventy five and you're fine. Like right. you, you find a way to make but it work. Football though? It's crazy, yeah. especially a running back. Yeah. Like, Frank Gore doing this as a running back. I know a there's a lot of conversations too. about whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. And listen, I I personally think he's a stat compiler the same way that Curtis Martin was. But if you can do this until your kid commits to FAU and you were good basically the entire time, yeah, you're a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Like, that's how it works. If oh, yeah. you do it until your kid gets to FAU, you're a Hall of Famer. That's, that's how this works. All right. So I teased that we were going to talk about the most pivotal player for the Chiefs in 2019. We will just do that right now. So if we were to assume health, so assuming that nobody gets injured, right? That, that's kind of how we have to do this. Who is the most pivotal player for the Chiefs in 2019? Now let me, everybody has a different definition for what this means. Everybody has a different definition for what it means to be the pivotal player. And 90% of the responses that I got to this when I asked on Twitter were Patrick Mahomes. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah, if Patrick Mahomes are really good, the Chiefs are going to be really good. If he's bad, well, the Chiefs are going to be bad. That's any quarterback in the league. That being said, what I'm looking for is, let's say we project the season the way we all anticipate it to go, right? Most of us are going to say Patrick Mahomes is going to have a good year. Like, Patrick Mahomes, it's varying degrees of good. Some people still think he's going to throw 75 touchdown passes this year. Others say, no, he's going to regress this year. That's been a conversation that we've had a lot. But everybody agrees that Patrick Mahomes is going to be good. I do think there are guys on this team where the range of outcomes depending on how you view them right now, is really wide. Like Sammy Watkins, for instance, I think is a pivotal player for the Chiefs in 2019. Especially if, let's say the Tyreek Hill case goes south and it ultimately ends up with him on the commissioner's exempt list and he can't play this year. Not because he's suspended, but because the NFL decides, you know what, while everything's going on with the child protective stuff, we want you on the commissioner's exempt list. You're not playing until we figure out otherwise. If that's the case... There are some people who legitimately believe that Sammy Watkins is just not that good. That Sammy Watkins is going to finish the year with 10 games played and he'll end up with 600 yards again. There are others, I would put myself in this camp, who think Sammy Watkins is legitimately talented. And if he's healthy this year, which we'll see, but if he's healthy this year, I think he could be one of the 10 most productive wide receivers in the NFL. Given the system, given the fact that he would be the number one wide receiver target on the team this year, given the fact that he's playing with Patrick Mahomes, like, I think Sammy Watkins can be awesome. But if he's not in that scenario, well, then the Chiefs season is just, it's going to go downhill. Because if all you're relying on all season is Travis Kelsey, you've got issues. Now you're in the situation where they were whenever it was Travis Kelsey, no wide receiver for touchdowns for a year, and then they had to sign Jeremy Macklin the following season. Like, Sammy Watkins, to me, in this offense, is a 
pivotal player if Travis if if Tyree kills out for an extended period of time. I think he was a key player last year too. I mean, you saw how obviously the offense was good every week, but you just saw them kick it up to another level, and it's impossible, especially if you do have Tyree kill, to guard those three targets out there. So I thought Sammy Watkins was one of the key, most pivotal players of last year. And we saw it in the playoff sure. game, too. He was the best wide receiver that we had on that team in the AFC Championship. So I think Sammy Watkins is definitely a good choice for that. But you got a little bit more. Go yeah, I've got a few here. others. Yeah. So the other one that I would nominate, I think there's four on the defense. I think Sammy Watkins is the pivotal player on offense because I, th- I expect Damian Williams to be good. Different degrees of good. We can all d- disagree on how good he's going to be. But the starting running back for the Chiefs, whether it's Damian Williams or Carlos Hyde or Darwin Thompson or James Williams or the other Williams, like whoever you think is going to be the starting running back, I'm confident they're going to be good next year. Travis Kelsey, going to be good. The offensive line, going to be solid. Patrick Mahomes, going to be good. There are very few guys on the offense that I think are pivotal players. I think Sammy Watkins is the one. On defense, I think it's different. I think there are four guys that I would put into the category of potentially being pivotal players for the Chiefs in 2019 on the defense. The first one that I would mention is Darren Lee. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning Darren Lee is not because I think he's going to be great, but because Darren Lee was a first-round pick for the Jets. The Chiefs traded for him. They believe in him. He was one of the better coverage linebackers in all football last year. If you look at the numbers, if you look at the sabermetrics nerds who are out here telling us, here's what went wrong with the Chiefs, the number one thing was, They had the worst linebacker coverage unit in the NFL last year. Well, you know what fixes that? Going out and getting one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. If he can duplicate that, and it's very important that he does so, if he he continues to be one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL, Darren Lee can be a pivotal player for this Chiefs defense in 2019. Another guy that I would nominate. Two two corners that could be pivotal players for the Chiefs next year. Charvarius Ward and Kendall Fuller. I think Charvarius Ward applies more to this than Kendall Fuller, but I think both could be this. If Charvarius Ward is what people seem to think he is after watching 150 snaps of him last year, the Chiefs don't have as big of an issue at corner as I think they have. I don't believe that he's going to be that guy, but if Charvarius Ward can legitimately be a good starting cornerback for the Kansas City Chiefs, that is something that I didn't anticipate them having going into the year, and that would be pivotal. I think the number one pick, though, on the defense, the number one pick on offense is Sammy Watkins. The number one pick for me, most pivotal player for the defense, is Juan Thornhill. Love that. Juan Thornhill is the Chiefs' second-round pick. He's the safety out of Virginia. If he's really good, the ceiling for Juan Thornhill this year is the best player in the secondary. That's the ceiling. The ceiling is he's better than Tyron Matthew on the field. Now, he's not going to have the same reputation as Tyron Matthew, but better than Tyron Matthew on the field, better than Kendall Fuller on the field, could lead the team in interceptions. That is the ceiling for Juan Thornhill. The floor for Juan Thornhill, as none of us have ever seen him play in the NFL, is that he doesn't start. I'm not anticipating that, but it is possible that by midseason, Juan Thornhill is not your starter at safety. So, the range of outcomes there are really wide. As wide as they are for any player on the defense. If Juan Thornhill hits his ceiling this year, it is a complete difference maker on the defense. If Juan Thornhill does not, if it's the floor and he's not starting for you, well, now you're back to whether it's Armani Watts or Jordan Lucas or whoever the guy is, that Daniel Sorensen potentially, whoever the guy is that's starting back there, you're back to square one. But Juan Thornhill, to me, would be the most pivotal player on the defense side of the ball. I like that pick, BK. We call uh, Juan Thornhill the baby badger because okay. <laughs> he used to he used to watch game tape of Tyron Matthew when he was like preparing for games uh, and all that and kind of styles his play like him too. He's very versatile, can move around, play safety, play kind of like that linebacker, go line up on somebody in the slot, all that. So if you have two guys like that on a defense, there's a lot of room for – trickery and just like disguising your looks and all that, which is something that we didn't really have when Bob Sutton was here. You kind of always knew exactly what the Chiefs were doing on defense when Bob Sutton was here. So if Juan Thornhill can be that baby badger like that, and you've got him and the honey badger back there, you move them all around, that could definitely be the tipping point for this Chiefs defense. Whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it the wild card, the X factor, the pivotal player, however you want to describe what we're describing here, assuming health, the most pivotal player, the X-Factor, the wild card, the guys that matter the most for the 
the hitting the ceiling of the Chiefs season this year, I think there's two of them. I think there's one on offense, one on defense. It's Sammy Watkins and it's Juan Thornhill. I think those are the two for the Kansas City Chiefs this year. The, the, if you look back at the end of the year, when we get to next January, and you, if you said, Brandy, you can only look at two things, assuming health, and based on those two things, you will know how the Chiefs did this year. I would want to look at what Sammy Watkins did and what Juan Thornhill did. And if those guys are awesome, if they exceed any expectations that we could have possibly had for them, it's going to be a really good year here in Kansas City. Because I'm expecting a lot of good things out of a, out of players elsewhere. I think those two guys are the guys with the widest possible range of outcomes. That if they hit their ceiling, this could be a really good year in Kansas City. I'd be curious about your six nine three zero six is the protein house eat with the purpose text line. Who is your wild card X factor most pivotal player for the Chiefs in 2019? We'll get to those some of those coming up in just a little bit. But coming up next, it's trade season, baby. Royals trade talk is starting to heat up. I want to make the case for and against trading wit and why I think the case for trading wit is just ridiculous. We'll do that coming up next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. He's Nick Price. If you're going out to the Royals game, pre-game coverage with Cody Tapp is coming up at 1130. We will take you up until then. If you're new to our Saturday morning shows, well, thank you for listening. Normally, I would take you up until 12 o'clock. Nick Price and Dusty Likens would take over at noon with Out of Bounds. And then after them, it is Jillian and Chris and Julio with Overtime. They take you up until 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock? Uh, I think it's 5.30. 5.30, even yeah. better. Typically. Or usually right into, right into the Royals game. We're live and local all day. That's what matters. All day. Live and local all day right here on 610 Sports Radio. You won't find it anywhere else right here in Kansas City. So keep it locked in right here on 610 Sports Radio. Coming up here in just about 10 minutes, I do think there's a case to be made that as much as we've talked about how other teams are building to defend the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs are doing the exact same thing with one team in mind in particular. I'll tell you who that team is coming up here in just about 10 minutes. But right now, the Royals trade talks are starting to heat up. So Mark Feinsand of MLB.com, a very well-connected reporter, reported earlier this week that the Royals have started to let it be known that nearly anybody on their roster is available in trade, with Mondesi and Hunter Dozier among the untouchables. The source cited Whit Merrifield as the most intriguing trade candidate. Witt's contract makes him very appealing to virtually every club out there, which is why the Royals will need to be overwhelmed by any offer to trade him. For a rebuilding club, being able to pencil in an affordable, productive player is the dream, but if a contender is willing to part with some notable prospects, it appears that Whit Merrifield may be available. Again, that is a report from Mike Mark Feinsand of MLB.com. I find this interesting because if we are talking about the Royals, if we are talking about their legitimate trade candidates, the, the pieces that could be available via trade, we're really only talking about a few players, right? Like, the guys that we care about if they're traded. Martin Maldonado could be a trade piece this year. He could be. He's a really good defensive catcher. He's a veteran. And if a team ultimately decides that it's missing piece is a defensive catcher, Martin Maldonado very well could be a catcher that is on the move by the trade deadline. Most Royals fans aren't going to be too worried about that. A guy like Billy Hamilton could very well be a trade piece at the deadline. Royals fans aren't worried about that. The guys you care about are Whit Merrifield, Jorge Soler, Alex Gordon. I think those are the three, and you could add into this mix Danny Duffy as a pitcher. Those are the ones that you care about that if they're traded, it matters not just for right now, but also for the future. I don't think Gordo's going anywhere. He has more value here than he has anywhere else. He has 10-5 rights, which means he could veto any trade. He wants to be here. He said he might potentially play another year. If that is the case, you can't trade him because you're probably going to want him to come back next year. Alex Gordon's not going anywhere. So I think it comes to Whit Merrifield, Jorge Soler, and Danny Duffy. If the Royals can get significant return for Soler or Duffy, I wouldn't blame them for trading either. I don't know that I would do it with Soler because I think Soler is a piece that you could have moving forward as part of your core. If that guy's your six-hole hitter, I think you've got a pretty good lineup moving forward. If he's your cleanup hitter, as he is today for them, you're probably not in the greatest spot because he doesn't have a good on-base percentage. He's never going to have that. He's not going to hit for a high average. He's going to strike out a lot. 
He he comes with his warts. He can't play defensively. He's got to be a DH for you. But the power is very real. And it has come on strong this year. And he has stayed healthy for the first time in his career. So I think I would hold on to Jorge Soler, but I don't blame them for trading him if they go that route. The most interesting case is and always will be Whit Merrifield. And so earlier this week, we asked Cody Tapp, who you're going to hear coming up here in just about 25 minutes for Royals pregame coverage, what the case is for and what the case is against trading Whit Merrifield. First, I'm going to play for you the case against because it is personally the case that I agree with, and then we'll get to case four. The case for not trading him. He's your most versatile player, and he's cheap, and you can't be guaranteed. When you go for a Mania light deal, when you give up a half a year of Ben Zobrist, what you give up is a half a year of Ben Zobrist, not four years of a similar style player in Whit Merrifield. When you give up four years of that, that one in 25, you know, that one in four shot you're taking and maybe getting a prospect good enough to help your team when you're good again in three or four years, it's probably a one in four shot, like any prospect that's that highly rated, maybe one in five. And so if you trade away four years of control for Whit for a 25% shot, it's not the same value as when you're trading away a half of a year for a 25% shot. I agree with everything Cody Tab just said. Everything Cody Tab just said, copy, paste, repeat, that's what I agree with. Everything he just said, that's why I would not trade Whit Merrifield. You have four years of control on a guy that's a legitimate all-star second base slash right fielder. That guy's super valuable. He will be valuable now. He will be valuable next year. He will be valuable the year after that and the year after that. Any team's going to want to trade for this guy because he's cheap, he's really good, and he can play anywhere across the field. That guy's super valuable here and elsewhere and will continue to be so. There's no reason to trade him right now, especially if you're not getting an overwhelming return. Here's what the case was for trading with. This is from Cody Tapper earlier this week. The case for trading with is obvious because he's your most valuable commodity. As in, he's got four years of control, $16 million, and it doesn't matter what position a team is looking for, he fills it. And you're asking yourself, hey, how good will he be the next time we're good? You know, as he gets older, will he still be the same player? Can he move around the same amount? Will all of this work if we're going to trade him? And so if he's your most valuable asset and pretty much any team can take on his salary, then it makes a lot of sense because you saw Ben Zobrist got Sean Mania from the Royals. You could be looking at a case that much, and that's what you should be looking for if you're trading with. All right, so let's go through these real quick because I find it really interesting. Um, Whit Merrifield has four years left on his deal right now. Whit Merrifield has never won with the Royals. Whit Merrifield is 30 years old. So a lot of people, the case for trading Whit is very simple. The case for trading Whit is he's 30. He's never won with the Royals. He's probably not going to be here when they're good. You should trade him while his value is still really, really high and get as much as you can for him right now. Here's why I disagree with it. Whit Merrifield's only 30 years old. He's not old yet. He's going to be 31 next year, 32 the year after that, and 33 the year after that. Whit Merrifield can play the outfield for the next four years. In three years, so four years from now, let's say, it's going to be 2023. If the Royals can't get good again by 2023, then this entire regime will have changed over very likely. That will be eight years since the last time the Royals were good in 2023. If the Royals can't be good in eight years, that's how long it took the last time to get good. And we all thought that that was a really, really long period for the rebuilding stretch. That will essentially, because the two years after the World Series, they were trying to be good. They were not rebuilding. That was not rebuild mode. It was we're trying to be good. We're kind of going half and half. We're, 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 we're serving both masters here by trading Wade Davis to get Jorge Soler, who we think is kind of going to bridge the gap to the next thing, while also keeping all of our old core guys. Like They were trying to do both things. They wanted to win, but also they knew that the time was kind of up, and so they ended up going basically 500 for two years. That wasn't part of the rebuild. So you will have been in rebuilding mode, true rebuild mode, for six years at that point. Listen, man, we've seen this around baseball. We've seen it too many times. Teams have gone through these cycles now where we know how it works. 
you're really bad for two or three years. You get a couple of really high draft picks that end up working out for you. You also spend really big in Latin America. You bring in all these college kids. And you do this cycle where five years later, you're really, really good. We've seen it with the Astros. We've seen it with the Red Sox. We've seen it with the Cubs. We've seen it with the Braves. We've seen this with too many different teams to say it takes seven years for you to get good again. So the reason why I bring all of that up is because if you have Whit Merrifield for four more years, and we've seen this year how important his leadership has been. This dude is the leader in the clubhouse. He's one of the best players in baseball. He's the best player unquestionably on this team. If you've got all that going for you right now, why trade it? That asset is not going to become devalued over the next few years. You ex- you should expect that the Royals are going to be good again at some point over the course of his contract. So when you have all of that going for you, in my mind, it does not make sense to trade that guy. That's a guy you build around. It's not a guy that you trade. Him, Hunter Dozier, Whit Merrifield, potentially Jorge Soler. These are the guys that you build around. You don't trade those pieces right now. Did want to mention one other thing here because the White Sox are in town. And the White Sox won 62 games last year. I don't know if you guys have checked. The White Sox are currently 29 and 32. Not bad. Not bad. Not good. Not bad. They're just three games out of the second wild card. Now, there was a story a few weeks ago about how the Royals wanted to try to make a play for the second wild card. And everybody laughed at it. As you should have. It was ridiculous. But there was a story that the Royals thought that they could make a play or wanted to make a play for the second wild card. They actually wanted to compete this year. The White Sox are doing what the Royals thought that they could do. The White Sox are doing what that story told you the Royals wanted to do. When you saw that story, what you should have pictured in your mind was this year's White Sox team. The White Sox aren't good. The White Sox are taking advantage of a really awful division. A truly awful division. As bad as the Royals have been, the Tigers are just four games better. The Tigers are awful as well. So the White Sox are taking advantage of a really bad division. They're winning games that they should be winning right now. And so they're moving forward and they're three games out of the wild card. That's the team the Royals thought that maybe they had a chance to be. It's also the team that the Royals could be next year. Like two years from now, the Royals should be looking somewhat something similar to like whether it's the Rangers or the Rays, like these teams that are kind of in that in-between mode that are good, but not necessarily the great teams like the Yankees or the Astros. That's probably where the Royals should be in two years. Next year, it's absolutely in play, and it should be possible that the White Sox are basically what the Royals are. The Royals next year should be what the White Sox are this year. Take advantage of a bad division. Be right around 500 for the majority of the year and at least be competitive. That's what the Royals thought they could be this year. It's what the Royals should be coming next year. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Nick Price on the other side of the glass. Coming up next, there's one team in the NFL that I think when you look at the Chiefs defense, it's very clear what they're trying to do and very clear who they have in mind. Tell you who that is coming up. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Nick Press on the other side of the glass. He's He had a long night last night, all right? Yeah, first Friday's got the best of me a little bit. I pulled the shades in here. It's really dark, though, and I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I'm taking, the, taking people a little bit behind the curtain. Yeah. I'm looking over on the other side of the glass right now. So the way that our, our studio is set up, like, I'm in one room. I've got a bunch of microphones in here. It's just me. Just me in this room. I've got a couple TVs. Lights are on. It's 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 very nice. It looks beautiful outside. I think today's going to be a pool day for me, Nick Price. I'm looking on the other side. So we've got we've got a, a wall and a window where I can see Nick Price. Nick Price is in the other room where I'm typically at during the drive. There are no lights on in his room. None. None whatsoever. He's got all the shades pulled down on the windows. It is basically a black dungeon inside of the room with Nick Price. And he is loving it right now. Yeah, I had my sunglasses on earlier, but I literally couldn't see like <laughs> enough to do my job, so I took them off. But oh, we're getting there. We're getting I respect the commitment. Yeah, I respect yeah, the commitment. I'm still here. I showed up on time today. <laughs> 
He's Nick Price. I'm Brandon Kyler. We've got about 10 minutes left for you before we turn things over to Cody Tapp uh, for Royals pregame. Royals and White Sox coming your way right here on 610 Sports Radio coming up at 1 o'clock. So right now, I wanted to finish things off by discussing something that I think has been interesting. Um, we've talked a lot this offseason about how other teams are gearing up right now to defend the Chiefs. Other teams are throwing money at cornerback. They're throwing money at pass rushers. They're saying to themselves, we know exactly what the AFC is going to look for, look at, look like over the next few years. And Patrick Mahomes is going to be the guy that we have to defend. We have to find a way to defend that guy. The Denver Broncos last year went out and drafted a pass rusher really high. This year went out and signed a new coach. He's a defensive guy. Why'd they do that? Because they know Patrick Mahomes is in their division. The Chargers are loading up on the defensive side of the ball. Why? Because they know Patrick Mahomes is in their division. The The Raiders right now, you know they're preoccupied by the fact that Patrick Mahomes is in their division. I think the Chiefs are doing the same thing quietly. I think the Chiefs, if you look at the way that they've built this defense, where have they devoted the most resources? It's been the defensive line. It's been a pass coverage linebacker. And it's been at safety. The one place they haven't really addressed is corner. And it's been something I've harped on a lot, especially here on this show. I keep looking at it and I say, Traverius Ward is your number two corner. It's not good enough. Bashad Breeland is your number three corner. Not good enough. You guys are missing one corner. You need a guy on the outside to be able to defend some of these teams, especially now within the division. Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, like Mike Williams. These are guys that have shredded the Chiefs in the past. You've got to find a way to be able to defend these teams. But then I look at what their plan is and how they've executed it. And a specific team comes to mind. And specifically two games. I'm thinking of the New England Patriots. Let's look back to last year. How did the Chiefs lose to the Patriots the two times? No, I'm not talking about the first half against the Patriots where the offense was bad. I'm not talking about the offsides penalties. How did they actually win the games? In those two games, the Patriots ran for 350 yards. Two games, 350 yards. The Chiefs responded to that by bringing in Frank Clark, Alex Okafor, Emmanuel Ogba, Colin Saunders. All guys on the defensive line that can stop the run. Really important. That was clearly a focus, of, clearly a point of emphasis this offseason for the Chiefs. You should be better against the run next year. Julian Edelman. Rob Gronkowski and James White, those three players, so a slot receiver, a tight end, and a running back, combined last year for 430 of the Patriots' 690 receiving yards in two games. 690 receiving yards for the entire team. Those three guys, a slot receiver, a running back, and a tight end, accounted for basically two-thirds of them. The Chiefs respond to that by adding a pass coverage linebacker in Darren Lee and two safeties and Tyron Matthew, and Juan Thornhill. Now look at the Patriots' depth chart. Their inside receiver this year is Julian Edelman. He's going to be fantastic. He's always fantastic. Their biggest other pass catchers are their running backs. James White, Damian Harris. I expect both of them to have a big role in the passing game this year. Their outside wide receivers as of today are Philip Dorsett, Nikhil Harry, a guy that some people were really high on, a first-round pick, but we know the past of the Patriots drafting wide receivers. To say that it's limited would be kind. Other receivers that they have potentially fighting for those spots are Dontrell Inman, Demarius Thomas, Maurice Hurst, Matthew Slater. The Chiefs are very clearly gearing up for one team. Defensively, they know who they're going to be playing next year. They're going to be playing the New England Patriots. And the New England Patriots crushed them last year on the ground with 350 rushing yards in two games. They respond by bringing in four separate defensive linemen. The Patriots crushed them last year with Gronk, Edelman, and James White. They respond by bringing in a pass coverage linebacker and two safeties. Defend the middle of the field better than what they did last year. The Chiefs seem to have a plan. The Chiefs seem to know the AFC is going through New England next year. Now, maybe they're wrong. Maybe Tom Brady gets hurt. Maybe Tom Brady, without uh, Rob Gronkowski this year, things go south. Maybe the Browns are the team. 
And ultimately, they built a team to defend the Patriots, and the Browns come in, and Odell Beckham destroys them on the outside, right? That's certainly possible. But based on what the history has been with, I believe, eight straight years of the Patriots going to the AFC Championship game, they'd probably be correct about the fact that they're going to have to play the Patriots in the AFC Championship game next year. So gearing up to defend them makes a lot of sense. Gearing up to defend the team that's gone to eight straight AFC championship games makes a whole hell of a lot of sense if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. So when I see sit here and say, Chiefs still need a cornerback, I still believe that to be true. I still believe that the Chiefs do need a cornerback because when you're going up against Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham and Mike Williams and all these guys that are across the division and across the AFC, that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them to be able to defend. But, if you're looking specifically at how they defend the Patriots, I think they're in a pretty good spot to be able to do so. Had a great time with you guys all today. Nick Price had a great time last night. I had my first experience at first Fridays. I had a pretty good time as well. I think today looks a little bit like a pool day to me. Nick Price, question for you. Yeah. We're finishing things up. We're going to kick things over to Cody Tap here in just about a minute or so. So uh, pregame coverage, Cody Tap for Royals versus White Sox coming up in just about a minute right here on 610 Sports Radio. I'm going to the Royals game tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in crown seats for the first time in my life. I've never been to a Royals game by sitting in crown seats. Have you ever sat in the crown seats before? I've never sat in the crown seats, but my mom got crown seats one time from like one of her family friends or okay. whatever. And I was just watching the game at home, watching my mom not watch a second of baseball. <laughs> I was so pissed. <laughs> from what I understand, tomorrow I get basically free drinks and free food the entire time that I'm watching Royals baseball. You might be feeling a little bit like I'm feeling today. Monday morning. Might be tough. I'm a little worried about how I'm going to be feeling coming into the drive. I'll pray for I'm you. a little bit worried about it. Not a lot worried, but a little bit worried about it. If you need it. any tips, let me know. We're definitely going to get I've an update there. from Sean Levine on his experience. I think it's tonight with uh, the wine girl. So we're going to do that coming up on Monday on the drive. It's been the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie, Nick Price on the other side of the glass. If you missed any of it, 610sports.com, the radio.com app is the place for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Cody Tapp up next. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.